thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And our beautiful Karen's not with us this week, but we are really excited to have a special, very special guest on the show that I know is going to absolutely blow your mind. The gorgeous Krista Watkins, who's the Managing Director of Natural Evolutions, has a beautiful link with Cindy after she was sourcing someone for her banana flower to go into her marketplace. And I'm going to hand it over to you, beautiful Cindy, to introduce us to this amazing soul. And I'm really looking forward to today's podcast. Yeah, thank you, Kim. And welcome, Krista, to the show. We're excited to hear um, your story. But before we... um, before you get started, I'd like to tell you what happened. Is that um, Ruth who um, and Beck, who source our products, comes running into me and she says, Cindy, this banana flower, you've got to see it. It's got 5-HTP, it's got resistant starch, it's off the charts. And that's where it all started. I said, all right, let me do some research. And so I went and watched uh, your TEDx video. I watched um, your video when you won Rural Women's Awards um, last year. I watched you on the project. And I, I be, uh, what I do when I do the marketplace is that I want to know that there is an ethical, a trustworthy story behind why people produce these products. So um, let's start, Krista, before we tell them what your products are and what we'll be getting into the marketplace. Can you just tell us, you know, what's it like being a banana farmer's wife? (laughs) (laughs) Interesting question. (laughs) Um, It's, um, look, it could um, it could have been pretty run of the mill, I suppose, being a banana farmer's wife. But um, you know, I I'm a pretty bold person, so um, I think my life was destined to end up on a, a a quite a different path than what most people would have expected. And look, it did. It took some really um, significant hardship for us to change the trajectory of our business Um, you know after going through two really devastating category five cyclones um, it was really hard to cop because you know you're waiting around for nine months after each cyclone for your crop to grow back so you can pick up your business again while you've been waiting all of that time you um, you've tried to keep your business running you've tried to keep your key staff employed and it's a, it's a very difficult process as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, it takes a huge financial toll but also the emotional toll of it. You know, we're really connected to um, our, our farm and the ground that, that gives us our business. You know, we look at the whole health of the plant so it you know, we look after our soil because we believe that if we don't have healthy soils we can't produce healthy plants to feed people or animals 
So, um, yeah, it was particularly hard to cop, but I suppose it really gave us extra time to sit there and evaluate what could we do differently, you know, rather than all of these beautiful bananas that have been knocked down, albeit they were much too small to be sold in the stores, what could we do differently? What could we do with them as a way of, you know, kind of safeguarding us in the future? And it just so happened that Rob accidentally drove over uh, a cluster of bananas that had been sitting in the sun. And, you know, most people would have seen waste or a mess, but he saw an opportunity there. And I'll never forget that night. He came flying through our house going, taste it, taste it, taste it. Just tastes like flour. And I thought, oh, boy, he's really gone bananas this time. But he was right. It, it did. It just tasted like flour. And um, as they say, the rest is history. And I know we'll touch on it, but it has ended up being a really significant scientific breakthrough. Um, and it's not just a flour anymore for baking. I mean, people are using it as, as a supplement. Mm, and that, let's talk about um, that some is a flour and some is a supplement. So um, there are different types of bananas out there. And I noticed that um, you, before we start that, do you grow the bananas anymore or do you just get the bananas from everybody else now? The, yeah. yeah, that's a good question. We actually have no fresh bananas at all anymore. We all of our bananas go to powders and then we actually need more. So we go around and buy all the excess produce from the other, some other banana growers in our area because there is so much oversupply or out-of-spec produce. It's giving those farmers an alternative industry to sell, you know, a beautiful product that they've put the same amount of time, energy and love into growing rather than just throwing it away, it can now have a different purpose. So the farmers around you and anybody else that you're collecting the, the bananas from must be so happy because, you know, I, I think I remember hearing you on your TEDx talk that, you know, you were wasting, well, what was being wasted in bananas was tonnes every week. Am I right? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely frightening. So we had about five metric tonne alone on our farm, but the entire banana industry, which, you know, the majority of it is here in North Queensland, the waste is something like in excess now 500 metric tonnes a week. So five metric tonnes a week, is that on just your farm or everybody's farms? Everybody. So we had five on our farm, yep. but the whole industry, 500 metric tonne. Oh, that's just unbelievable. And so how, um, like I, um, I was reading um, what you do and you can produce one tonne every day of the flour and it takes you eight hours to do that. In order to do that, you need... Ten tons. Ten ton. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Ten ton. And I'd like you to tell everybody how you started this um, by doing it yourself and where you are today and what you are building in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it all started from that day where Rob accidentally drove over the bananas and um, we, we just began in our garage, just making it to see if we could actually do it, pull it off, you know, and um, we did, we pulled it off and 
we thought, hey, this could be a really great alternative because it's going to be gluten-free. Um, you know, let's actually start making it. And we had a, the family has a cafe here on the farm and at the time we just started producing it there. It was very labour-intensive. We were hand-peeling, you know, like 60 kilos of bananas and it was just, it was hard work. It was awful. Because um, they're green, aren't they? So yeah, they're green. Yellow are easy, green are hard. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And and that's important with the nutritional variants as well, the um, change of colour. It's a process called hydrolysis and it actually totally changes the nutrition of the product, which I'll touch on in a minute. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we thought we've get, we're going to have to design some equipment here to help us because there's no way it'd be an economically viable uh, process to keep hand peeling them. Plus, I don't think we'd find too many staff very keen for the job. <laughs> so <laughs> Rob designed a little pilot plant in a, a old cold room we had at the time and we were able to make a couple of hundred, about 350 kilos, I think, of flour a week. And... Um, it just, we couldn't seem to keep up to it. We were just months and months behind. So we went ahead and we built a, a very large facility here in Walkerman and it was designed specifically to process the bananas. And we designed all of that technology ourselves. So it can take a banana to powder now in under 10 minutes. Mm. We're saving around 90 metric tonne of wasted produce a week at least. Um and it, the technology that we designed, it's a fully inline cold raw process and it has been proven to lock in some plant nutrition 20 to 50 times higher than conventional food processing techniques. It also picked up a gold food and beverage Edison Innovation Award in New York a couple of years ago. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you, thank you, because it, it's not a heavy energy um, consumer either. It was important for us to get this right on a few levels, not just the economics of it, but the environmental sustainability of the project as well. So when... I know that you sent samples off to um, a microbiology lab. Yes. And um, what was the result of those two samples? I know your husband marked them sample A and sample B. Yeah, correct. So someone gave us a bit of a tip and said, oh, you should get the resistant starch tested um, in in what you're doing and we didn't even know what resistant starch was at the time but we went, oh, good, okay, let's do it. <laughs> Yeah. let's get it checked and um the lab actually called and they were they were very very curious demanding you know <laughs> both what we had actually sent them because it was one of them they were both very high in resistant starch but one of them was the richest source of resistant starch that even ever tested i mean beating things that um had been genetically modified to be a resistant starch Ours was entirely natural and it was coming in well above all of that. So um, there's actually a thousand varieties of bananas in the world. There's blue ones, purple ones, some that taste like vanilla, some that taste like pudding. But the two main commercial varieties grown in Australia, which are Cavendish and Ladyfingers, we found that Ladyfingers are nearly double the nutrition and they're certainly a much higher resistant starch than Cavendish bananas. 
So we went, hey, this is a great opportunity here. You know, there is just so many Cavendish bananas. We can, that will make an incredible gluten-free flour for people to use. And then the lady fingers, you know, they are a little harder to come by and they also require a lot more work to be grown. They're going to be the perfect supplement for people to, you know, grab a tablespoon and throw it in their smoothie. And not only did it have the resistant starch, and let's just talk about what resistant starch does. So for people who um, don't know, resistant starch is resisted um, digestion and it goes into the large intestine, is worked on by the bacteria, and then the bacteria make butyric acid, which then feeds the gastrointestinal wall. So resistant starch is very, very important in the diet. Another way of finding resistant starch is when you cook rice or potatoes and you let them cool for 24 hours. So this way, if you're on the move or traveling or don't have time to do that, you can just put a tablespoon within your smoothie. So it's it's really important for to have this. And um, I know when we do gut healing protocols, we use resistant starch. And the fact that they're coming from an Australian, you know, that you're an Australian, you're using what would have been wasted and that you are the largest manufacturer of these in the world mm. um, and you are expanding. That's what just blows me away. But before we talk about your expansion, let's talk about the second thing that was found um, in your beautiful ladyfinger um, flower. Yeah, your, your banana flower, I guess we call it, ladyfinger banana flower, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah that's what it is. Um, it's 5-HTP, so we undertook some research and we found out various things. We actually found that the ladyfinger powder also inhibits the growth of staph and E. coli, even in its powder form, which is really incredible. You could literally put it on yourself as a, a talc almost, you know, um, but we found that it contained 5-HTP and 5-HTP to be in a food source, like, that's pretty incredible. Um, you know, those little humble little bananas are processing 5-HTP like us and it converts to serotonin, obviously, so it's great for, um, you know, our mental well-being and, and obtaining a good rest as well. We, we definitely notice a lot of people letting us know that they're sleeping much better. Yeah. And what's interesting is that um, many people's um, gut bacteria is being decimated as a result of too much antibiotics, some of our agricultural practices. And mm -hmm. so the 5-HTP is the precursor to serotonin. So our bacteria would normally make um, tryptophan, which is the precursor to serotonin, but they're not there anymore. So the fact that this oh, that's what made me so excited as I, all of a sudden I thought it's a really good and it, it's it is the precursor before it's not just the amino acid it's the 5-HTP which is the precursor before serotonin so you know as you can tell I got very excited about it when Ruth you know came into me so you have um you you have plans to expand is it did I read this right five times where you are at the moment yes so we're actually in the process now of um we've designed it we're looking at putting in a five times the capability processing facility here in walkerman because obviously our banana powders 
have grown a lot in popularity, but along the way we've also been picking up some other products to process, such as gold sweet potatoes. That's another really big um, industry that has a, a lot of excess produce associated with it. So for us to just maintain the current um projections we have for our customers we definitely need to put in that much larger facility and then we're actually also now working with farmers to create um i mean some people are interested in using it they they actually have enough excess produce to use it full time but essentially what we'd really like to see happen as well is processing hubs so putting a facility in you know somewhere possibly in the southeast corner there where there is a lot of excess farm produce and farmers can bring their, their produce along and have it processed. And, I mean, the opportunities are endless. They could take it and sell it within their own brands or, you know, it may have something very interesting about it and um, Natural Evolution might take that on and, and sell that as well. So that would be really important in helping our farmers uh, with all of their excess produce and, and fighting food waste, so to speak, by just um, taking all the hard work out of it for them. You know, we've tried it, tested, we've proven the viability and the method of it now. So, so why not, you know? Uh, end of last year, we had like 60 metric tonne of broccoli come from Victoria to be processed here in North Queensland. And it's, it's come here to be processed because otherwise it would have been wasted. It would have been ploughed back into the field and um, it would have gone to waste entirely. Imagine if there was a processing facility down in Victoria. It would have been, you know, just so much easier and um, has the capability to take on everyone else's produce as well. But no, we're really proud of that broccoli powder and we're looking forward to bringing something out later in the year with it. So can I, sorry, sorry Kim, <laughs> no, I'm just so intrigued. You know, what, what really blows me away, Krista, is that um, I shared this with Cindy today and she felt that this was so appropriate for you that, you know, someone who gets hit over and over and sometimes we get hit hard. And I dare say, whilst yours was a banana field, some of us, we could say relationships, some of us, we could say it's our health, some of us, we could say our business. You got hit not only once, but twice and massively. Yeah. And most people would go, you know what, maybe that's the universe saying, bananas aren't for me. This isn't us. Where are we going? What are we doing? And feel really beaten up in the world. And I have to say that I got given a quote recently that optimism is not the result of success, but the cause of it. And what you've done um, in another quote, and I love this, and I think this should go in the show notes, an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. Yes. A, pes a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. And I just want to honor you for being the person that sees the opportunity and the difficulty because out of this, we can now see bananas, sweet potato, broccoli, all of these things becoming a beautiful health advantage for those of us. And particularly, I dare say, people that have, like Cindy said, gut issues or health issues. But what about the people that can't get food through drought or through, um, you know, fires and all the things that seem to happen here? I'd just love to ask you a more personal question. I know, Cindy, will get back to the, the more gut health and the science side of it. From a personal position, you and your husband, 
Did you cry? Did you fight? Did you get upset? Were you annoyed with everything that happened? And if so, just before we go into what you've done with the banana flowers and everything, how did you personally transgress through that time together and individually? We're both very passionate people. Um, we're very loud. Um, <laughs> and it's good we live on a farm, yeah, because I don't, I don't know if we'd be able to conform to metro living anymore. Um, you know, when it all happened, it was just a shock. You know, honestly, you feel pretty shit. Um, definitely felt pretty down. Don't tend to be, although I've heard perhaps maybe it could be a good option, don't tend to be a person who cries over anything ever, just kind of put my game face on and you get back up and you keep going. Um, we, we certainly are um, very, very passionate in our office and the direction and the growth of the company. So if there's ever to be an argument had, it would always be over the best way to move forward, um, especially now when we're just looking at so many different opportunities that are there. You know, we're really passionate about helping the farmers, but we can really see the benefit in the whole chain, you know, helping consumers it's so heartening when you you come across a person who's in their you know they're in their 60s or 70s and they've had a gut issue their entire life they come across the starch and they go wow it's like changed me I feel alive it's taken me you know 65 years and I'm alive you know you just you can't buy that kind of stuff it's just it's really it's what gets me out of bed every day and um you know, one quote I always live by is that it's easy to fail or you you just do nothing and throw in a few bad habits, repeat that, and you you will have failure. And it's just, it's not within me to do that. That's so inspiring, so beautiful. And, you know, I just would love people to see that when we do suffer hardship or when we do get challenges, and let's face it, every single one of us get it, there is always a universal message to look for an opportunity. And I just want to acknowledge you for that. And I can see why you were named Rural Woman of the Year. I just want to quickly ask before Cindy gets back into the science of it. I see the ladyfinger bananas at my markets every weekend and I see, uh, and I see the Cavendish bananas and all of these things. But I'm not quite sure I understand what you mean by the wastage. I, can you just explain to me a little bit about how there is, I think you said, is it 500 tonnes of wastage a yeah. week? What, what exactly do you mean by the wastage? Yeah, so what I mean by the wastage is that the banana bunches will essentially be harvested. Bananas actually run, there's a few different ways people run their farms. We used to run an alphabet system, so we would literally go out, we knew that, you know, these bunches were however many weeks old and we would be looking across three alphabetic letters because they should all be about the right size to come in. There's also measurements which we'd call calipers and we'd check they were the right size. Sure, let's take the bunch in. It comes into the packing house where they have a wash and they are taken off the stalk and they're cut into hands and out of all the hands, which is what they call the clusters and groups of bananas on a bunch, only some of them are packed and go for fresh produce sale. Some of them don't make it and there's reasons for that. Sometimes they are enormous. They are really, really big. Um, 
we get Cavendish here that are in excess of like one foot long. You know, they're, they're well over 30 centimetres long. Sometimes you get doubles or triples. They're all joined together. So that would be wasted. And, of course, there's other ones that are really small and, and they don't make it either. And you know what? Sometimes there's just too many in the market that week. Uh, bananas grow every week of the year here in North Queensland. They're harvested every week. And we tend to notice in our summer months when we've started to get our first storms of the season, we're getting a few extra hours of sunlight a day, it's getting hotter. The bananas move a lot more quickly and there's a lot more bunches that need to be harvested. So that's what ends up making up that 500 metric tonne. Wow. It's, it's really sad, you know, um, that we as a consumer won't take a one-foot banana. I would. Or we as a consumer don't take a triple banana. I, like, are we that? Like, I, I just find that gives us a really bad relationship about what is really happening out there in the banana, like what bananas are like. And I didn't realise that. I didn't know a banana made it to a foot long. I think that's just, um, I want one. <laughs> if I can eat it. to keep an eye out. I'll try and send you some down. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I'd like to get back to um, the processing of food and the method that you guys have figured out. So when you do the broccoli and the sweet potato, it, it all turns into powder, is that it? Yeah, that's it. So obviously um, they those kind of things, we don't peel them like we peel the bananas, uh, which is all mechanised as well. We just bypass some machinery and, um, yeah, they, they go through the same Nutrilock process and, yeah, under 10 minutes again, and we've got a beautiful powder. I just, I think this is wonderful because um, many supplements are made in a chemical laboratory, and at least yeah. this is food. Um, that is, you obviously are holding in the nutrition. It's cold, raw process. And I, and I know, um, you know, obviously people would purchase this from you and put it into capsules, which is not something that, I personally like. What I like is I want to have that powder um, in case that vegetable isn't available and I need that nutrient. It's a higher nutrient. So are you selling these powders um, to vitamin and mineral companies and are people getting on the bandwagon of natural vitamins and minerals as opposed to synthetic ones? Yes, absolutely. We are selling them to pharmaceutical companies all over the world, actually. And um, yeah, that's the funny thing. You know, some customers, they do actually put them into a capsule. They make it a tablet using them. And um, it's, and we notice it with our consumers as well. They go, oh, it'd be so good if you guys could just put that in a tablet for us. But um, we, we definitely haven't gone down that path yet. It's might take us a little bit to get over it um, in so to speak that we it is such a natural product I feel that by going down and, and putting it in a tablet form it's kind of like yeah I, I feel like I'm changing it yeah. <laughs> I'm not but um, yeah I, it's such a beautiful addition to smoothies and and things like that so yeah I 
I find it really hard too. And I I have actually spoken, I go to um, food shows all the time. And in the food shows, of course, you always find supplement makers as well. And so I speak to the people that make supplements and how they make the tablet and even the capsules. So when Mm. you become big time, you have to put anti-caking agents, free-flowing agents. And I don't think people realise this, that when things become really commercial and you're not got your own little set where you put your gelatin capsule and you and you make your own 20 when they Mm. become really commercial this is what they start to do and uh, that's why we don't encapsulate anything that's why we you know we say if you want to encapsulate it yourself that's fine Um, but that's why we buy the powder and, and why we want to buy the powder from you is that I don't want those extra things. I don't. I think we've become a pill-popping society and in every way from the day we're born right till the day we die, we seem to pop pills instead of realising the value of food. And um, I love that you've created this process that when food is going to be wasted, we can, you know, we can pack that nutrient base in the food. Um, But in powder form, I I still think it's... um, far better than anything else that I've heard. Yeah, thank you. And, look, it gives it a natural shelf life. You know, we don't use any um, preservatives or additives. It's just, you know, it's fully natural, raw state, and it can easily hold on a shelf for two to three years. And I think that's really important, especially when you look at our population, which is growing, therefore our demands for food is going to increase, like, why go and create more farmland to create more food that's just going to end up wasted? It's time we got a little bit creative Mm. in how we're using what we're already producing because so much of it is being thrown away. Mm. Can you um, talk about traditional agriculture um, with bananas? So I have a banana, um, I have a crazy banana plantation, so... I put three bananas plum trees that were barely making it, that were maybe a foot tall in the ground. And I swear, 12 months later, I could not believe what happened. So we we chopped them down because we wanted to grow them somewhere else. So we chopped them down, put them over where we wanted to grow them. So they're going crazy over there. But these one re-sprouted again. And like two months later, they were as tall as the ones I chopped down. Yeah. Can you explain the agriculture of, of, of bananas? I just and and even um, what traditional farmers would use in the way of chemicals versus the organic farmers. How does this all work? Yeah, so it's important to remember bananas. They're the largest herbaceous flowering plant in the world. They're they're a herb, and what they in their root system, it's quite different to most other plants. It's almost like a bowl with some little roots um, that are quite stumpy. And you can't, you know, some people do um, grow bananas from tissue culture. That's where they, they take the tissue of the, the bottom base of the banana plant and they make a lot of plants from it. But we actually do a lot of plantings from what we would say a bit so we get a banana base out of the dirt and you can you can almost see it it's like an eye in the center and as long as you've got a bit of that center and you chop it straight down the middle so it's in halves and then again in half the other way and you have four 
very pretty equal quarters, you can actually turn that one plant then into four. So you would plant them. In a couple of weeks, you'll start to, they'll start to shoot and throw up a sprout, like a leaf, and um, they'll keep going. What happens is once they do have a bunch, they start to throw up what we call suckers. And in the industry, so that we can keep everything nicely lined up in rows, so we can move out, you know, machinery through the paddocks. Also, it's very important for our irrigation when we're watering. We select which suckers continue. So we, one plant might throw up, you know, six, seven, eight, ten, who knows how many suckers but you really only need one sucker. So we call it the daughter plant, the one that is about half the height of the mother plant and looks really strong and healthy and it's, you know, going in a nice line direction. We leave that one and the other ones we just chop them off. And because they're so little, they don't come back and grow again. And that also ensures that you've got some timing with your crops as well and the plant's not exhausting itself to try and produce all these bunches in this you know small area of soil it it actually just depletes your soil and, and puts a lot of stress on the plant if you've got if you leave all those suckers there so you're definitely better off by just leaving one removing it and then once you've harvested what we call a mother plant and the bunch is ready that you'll notice the daughter plant that was coming up moves a lot quicker and then that stuck sucker cycle starts again. So up will come the suckers and you pick another one and chop off the rest. Um, it, it is a pretty common uh, misconception that bananas are sprayed and doused with all sorts of frightening chemicals. I can say it's absolutely not true. Um, of course, there's people in the industry that do a phenomenal job every day and then, like everything, there's others that probably could do a little better. Roundup doesn't go anywhere near bananas. It would kill them um, because, you know, they're so closely related to grass. If you just, you couldn't, you can't do to a banana what you wouldn't do to a human. So humans and bananas share 50% DNA and they are incredibly sensitive I, in our plantations here, we have so many animals and that's always a, you know, a really good sign to us that um, they're happy to be here. And, that, you know, they're like the yellow-lipped tree frogs. They're just, they're such sensitive trees. I'm loving it. I'm loving the thought of bananas having feelings and that they're just a happy colour and that this is just yeah. amazing. I love and it. I love we, it. We talk to them. Like, we, Rob, uh, Rob actually sings to them. He will pass through <laughs> on his bike and be singing in the paddock. <laughs> we kind of laugh because we go, oh, I think they're growing better because you've been singing. Them. <laughs> you, know, you know, Krista, we have our beautiful oil. I, I, have, I have an essential oil company and an organic skincare company, and I play music to them 24-7 at a very low resonance that humans probably can't even hear it unless you're really listening to it. Yeah. But after reading the, the Secret Life of Plants, an amazing book around how plants communicate and what fruit does and how it's an expression, if if we could really appreciate the value of what a plant can say and do it's it's such a higher incredible innate intelligence that it just warms my heart to hear you say and I can see why Cindy is so attracted to having your products in her marketplace 
When you say that the bananas had this interaction, is there, and my understanding from from a um, from the Aboriginal point of view, does the banana is there a is there a coherent or a system that occurs when you know the banana is going to fruit, or is there a certain? I mean, I'm sure it's seasonal, but are there anything else that you've noticed even deeper than that as to what the bananas do, so that you know when it's right? Yes. So there's a few things that happen. Um, I'm just trying to think, what is it? I, I, I want to give you the right number, but we always notice when they're about to bell, so to speak. So that's when the big purple flower comes out. They actually look what we would say swollen up in their throat. They look like they have a sore throat. It's all like chunky up around the top where the leaves are. And we notice that within, you know, two or three days, it's like magic. It happens overnight. I feel like we should try and, uh, what is it, uh, slow-mo, oh, no, time, time filming. Time lapse. Yeah. Time lapse. Time Thank lapse. you. I yeah. need to time lapse it. Um, and it'll just throw this massive big flower out, you know, within two to three days. And then once that flower's out, it, the, all the bees will come in. Sometimes here from our office, you can just hear when you open the front door, just this buzz and it's all of the bees out in the paddock. Um, we really, we love having the bees here because not only are they, um, I mean, without bees, there's, there's no produce, but they're also really good in that they stop, you know, mold and things like that growing on the flower end. So essentially these beautiful little flowers come out in the bell and then they turn into bananas and that's that little black crinkly bit on the end of your banana that actually once was a beautiful flower, a very delicate little dewy flower. And as the, the fruit grows, it, it does shrivel up and go black. Um, and there's, I really wish my husband was here because I should know this and I actually feel reliant that I have to ask him. There's a certain amount of leaves that the plant actually, that the banana plant actually throws before it bells. So once you know, I think it's like 36 leaves, you know that this plant's had 36 leaves. The next thing it's going to do is throw out that bell, the big flower, and then we know that within about nine months from there, the bunch will be ready. Oh, it's nine months. Mm. Like oh, a baby. It's his. It's like a baby. It's yeah, funny, huh? Oh, my gosh, because I've watched that big purple thing come out and the flowers and then I watch my beautiful banana bunch come and, um, oh, my, I love eating my bananas. We just we hang them after a while in the garage and then I just keep peeling the bananas off them. Just, yeah, that's the perfect way to do it. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, no, yeah. I just go in there. I say, "Oh, there's two ripe." <laughs> I go and eat those two. I just, I Can love. Can I it. ask you both a question around the nutritional value of the bananas? There's a lot of talk now about ketogenic and low carb, healthy fat um, protocols, and people paleo and all of these different things and the ways that we should be eating. A banana, when I had my children were growing up, and even I, when I was growing up, was the quickest, most amazing food to give someone, a child in particular, maybe going from school to an after-school project or, or to fill in or to have when I was playing netball or before a run. It was the perfect food for, for when I was doing ultra marathons. Now it's, I've, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I almost feel like the banana is seen as 
as the baddie is a high carb, high sugar kind of fruit. And yet there must be mums out there sitting there going, oh, geez, maybe I shouldn't be giving my kids bananas. Can you both give me some insights as to, you know, the, the positives of the banana and why people are now starting to see the banana as maybe not such a good guy? That's, yeah, it's a good question. I think the poor old banana has been a bit unfairly targeted there, to be honest with you. Um, we we certainly love having them in our house. They are a great energy snack. They're also loaded with magnesium and potassium. And I'd certainly much rather see my children tucking into a banana than, uh, you know, a lot of other really quick snacks that are out there. Um you know, I think just bananas are a wonderful energy source uh, as a ripe um, product. And, yeah, I, I do. I feel a bit sorry for the bananas. I think they've been a bit unfairly targeted. I'm in agreement with you. And, um, you know, their B6 content is is usually high and especially, you know, um, there's a tiny little bit of iron and there's a little bit of protein. But the main thing is it, it is a carbohydrate, but it's also, like you said, it's a herb. Um, so it'll no doubt have some factors in it that we don't even know. So everybody does the nutritional analysis where they go, oh, what's the fat content? What's the sugar content? What's the protein content? And what's the vitamin and mineral? They don't ask the phytonutrients. They don't ask the xenoest, the, um, the oh, not xenoestrogen, I don't know why I said that, but they don't ask all of those antioxidants that um, are out there, we don't even talk about them. But if that's a herb, that must have also some medicinal properties that maybe haven't even been explored. And the fact that when I, I watched your TED talk that you talked about the wallabies, was it the wallabies on your yeah, yeah. place? They eat the green banana. Um, yeah. And so it's something that... Um, we may not do as a culture, but other cultures like people that live um, in the Philippines, people that live on the equator where bananas are a big part of their diet, they use them green. They use them in, you know, in every way. They use them when they're even black, you know, how they, they do things. So I just, I'm with you. I think um, I love bananas and I always have. And somebody asked me the other day, oh, can you tell me if Cindy's on the low-carb, high-fat diet and um, does she stay in ketosis? And I, I just think it's like anything. We, we, we seem to go to extremes instead of just going, let's just eat real food. Let's just eat the foods that you know, our body has always eaten and, and bananas is, is one of them, you know. Like you said, in far north Queensland, you get them every week. Um, well, one of my favourite ways of, of, of eating them because I love them so much, lately I've also been fermenting them with mm -hmm. dates because I get so many from the markets and they ripen so quickly. Either freeze them for smoothies or banana ice cream because let's face it that's just the ultimate especially sprinkled with cacao nibs through it and oh my gosh I'm in heaven but um also fermenting it with dates and it's the most amazing thing when we have an abundance of this sort of fruit um can you tell us do you cook a lot with them as well or are you now so flower orientated Krista that it's now banana flower and everything I know everyone people cannot believe it I <laughs> I'm embarrassed I've ended up buying ripe bananas from the grocery store 
<laughs> I, I don't know if it's like it's the last thing you think about when you go home, but um, it's more to do with the fact that if we have any ripe bananas around our green bananas, it'll actually, because the bananas, they produce like a natural gas as they're ripening and they will produce this gas and they will tell the other, you know, the other bananas pick up on it and then they're all going to turn ripe. And um, we don't use ripe bananas to make our products. We use green bananas. And there's a few reasons for that. Um, one is because we get them straight from the farm and they're green, but their nutritional content when they're green is very different to when they're yellow. So as bananas, what we say ripen, go from green to yellow, it's a process called hydrolysis. And what they're actually doing is they're converting their starches into sugars. So to eat a, a ripe banana, you are going to have um, the three natural sugars, but there's very little starch there. So obviously we want them because of their, their starch content when they're green. So yeah, all, all green bananas here and yes, have been caught buying ripe ones from the supermarket. I'm just supporting the economy, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like it. I, I mean, I'm there for you. Yeah. Now, have you done a recipe book on using green banana flour? Uh, I. It's something I've been toying with. I. <laughs> I should have done one by now. I do put recipes online um, as I'm making them because I just use it for everything now. I. I don't use anything else. It's just yeah. It goes in everything. Um, and, and even my parents will say, oh, I suppose it's banana flour again. I was like, yeah, obviously. Like, <laughs> I need a recipe for the website. So. so is it like coconut flour where it absorbs a lot of water? Or like can you just give us the um, how you would cook with it and what's the consistency of it? And um, would you just replace two cups of flour with two cups of banana flour? Yeah, that's certainly a great question, something really important to get right. Uh, we advise people to cut back at least 25%. So if you're converting a wheat flour recipe that had one cup of flour, you would only use three quarters of a cup of banana flour. You could use baking powder to make it self-raising, so two teaspoons of baking powder per cup of banana flour make it self-raising and obviously because it's gluten-free if you're trying to make something that like uh bread anything dough based or, or pasta or pizza bases we we use exanthin gum to to give us that bit of flexibility if we're wanting to make a dough um other people have different methods you know the pre-soaked chia that also works really well um, yeah, it just comes down to personal preference on what people wish to do there. And if we're making a cake, um, the eggs would be the binder as opposed to the gum? Yeah, absolutely. So if, if you've got a really good cake recipe and it's got eggs and that in it, awesome. All you need to do is convert that flour quantity and you'll have a really beautiful result. So something that um, people who do make their own foods, especially when it's gluten-free, they'll use a lot of almond flour. Could you replace a gluten-free recipe that has almond flour in it with your banana flour? Uh, you could, absolutely. I'm just not sure what the conversion would be for, say, um, the almond flour to banana flour. I would... 
I would assume that it's still that 25% because um, it is just, it needs a bit more space. It needs a bit more room to move around. It does need a little bit more liquid. So without going and changing the entire recipe, it's just much easier to cut back that 25%. Right, Kimmy, you and I will be doing some experiments. We Honey, will... I'm so ready. I'm so fired up to do this. Because <laughs> even, go. I think it'll be even great. today I had a lady come in with her boy who is not only gluten-free, celiac, has um, issues with his gut, and he's only four. Um, oh. He also can't eat nuts and seeds. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, he's off sugar, he's off nuts and seeds, he doesn't eat fruit. I just thought, oh man, maybe this is maybe this could be a beautiful answer for him. I just want to double check. Yeah. It's three quarters of a cup to one cup as an alternative, and then add two teaspoons per cup of banana powder flour to the a baking powder, sorry, yeah. to the flour to get it to raise. Was that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay, cool. Just wanted to make sure. Mm. Um, can I ask also, just I know we're coming to the close. I want to keep going. I want to go back to you winning Rural Business Woman of the Year. Can you explain to us um, the process that you went through there and then why you think you were selected and what that meant to you guys? Yeah, absolutely. So it was a great opportunity, um, I, which I was really encouraged to participate in from um, – a variety of people and I did I, I I looked into it and I went oh well you know it looks good there's a lot of great opportunities available here to develop myself as a person and um, so I did apply for it and I was really um, I was named the Queensland Rural Woman of the Year early last year and um, look it I just went on a great um, it just was the start of a great journey, really. I got, I've been able to meet a lot of people and and do a, some very interesting professional development on enhancing myself as a person. And um, they bring all of the state and territory winners together. And it's, I think it's about a three or four day uh, course. And um, there's, there's a lot of things that you learn at the course, but there's a, a very serious element to it as well where we're actually all interviewed and one of the ladies is selected to be the National Rural Woman of the Year. And, yeah, I, I was very grateful to receive that award in October of last year. I've, um, I've still got a, about eight months left of being the National Rural Woman of the Year before I host that night and, and hand it over to whoever it will be for this year. And, look, it's just been a fabulous journey. Living in rural and regional Australia, I'm sure you can imagine it comes with its own set of challenges. And what they've found is that women are particularly underrepresented and it's a really important platform to encourage other women to take part in their futures who are based in in rural or regional communities or who have an effect on rural and regional communities. And I suppose that's probably why I um, was selected to to be the representative for the year in that I do have a a really big passion for um, rural communities and obviously what I'm working in with my business now, it has the potential to have a, a really um, 
quite an evolutionary effect on on rural economies as we know them now. Yeah, most definitely. And recently you've just been to Armadale and been the guest speaker at a food waste uh, international summit, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was a global food waste forum um, through the University of New England. And um, look, it, it was a really interesting experience. There's so much information out there and so much data available about how food's wasted, why it's wasted, what could be done about it. And it was really great to be invited to go there and share what I'm doing to try and 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 make a dent in it and and have a positive effect on our um on our planet well done now i just wanted to say to our audience that you are on a working farm and we've been listening and i'm sure it's your husband driving forward and then beep, 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 driving back i'm so sorry <laughs> oh no that's okay i want people um, to realize that we have grabbed you in the middle of a working week and um, <laughs> they shouldn't be upset by the noise. I think they're loading a truck. There's, <laughs> that's the forklift. <laughs> and there's people walking around the office and coming between the factory and the office. And <laughs> I've been listening to it and thinking, well, this is what it's like being on a working I'm farm. sorry. <laughs> this is it. Welcome to the farm, everyone. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, it's been such a delight. I'm really proud. I haven't even asked. Do you have children? I do. I'm so fortunate. They are my little inspirations. <laughs> um, there's one here having a little sticky beat now because the word children came up and oh. <laughs> uh, Tell so us their names. Yeah, I have an eight-year-old and a four-year-old, so they, they keep me very busy and very inspired. Oh, well, can I want to ask Cindy, let's, what have been your top two takeaways from our beautiful Krista today? And I'd like to ask you your top two messages that you'd love to give our listeners, Krista. But first, I want to give what we've taken from you today. I think that, you know, I saw adversity and I know that Krista had a newborn baby when this all happened. And I just think that, you know, when you are given adversity and perhaps if, as, as Krista is as an optimist, um, then they saw the opportunity in in every difficulty that was happening to them. And I, I just find that in eight years what you've done um, should be a shining light for other people that are at the moment um, having difficulties in maybe their business and all they have to do is think differently. It is about seeing something and just thinking differently. So I guess my two things are when there is a difficulty, look at the opportunity in it. Number two, um, think differently. I think they're my two. What about yeah. you, Kim? Well, I learned about the Cavendish and Ladyfinger bananas, about the Ladyfingers having double nutrition, and I loved hearing about the resistant starch, which am I correct in understanding that the sweet potato also has quite high values like that as well? So I think that's what I took away from that. Mm. And That's been a big shock, actually. Um, we were expecting when we tested the gold sweet potatoes for resistant starch because we'd heard that it was, you know, a great prebiotic and things like that, it actually floored us. It came back as well under three. So to go and actually, you know, something that we'd taken from hearing from a lot of places that, you know, it's really good prebiotic, 
then actually doing the science behind it through an international lab and it coming back not even reaching 3%, it was... Um, it was a real eye-opener for us, but it also forced us to look at the product and say, well, it might not have the starch quantities that we thought it was going to have and, you know, it certainly doesn't come anywhere near the bananas, but there's something else that makes it a really special product. And, and the thing is there's lots, you know, it's loaded with manganese and um, vitamin A. It's, yeah, it's got its own little hero story. Mm. Yeah, it definitely did give us, um, gave me a big surprise. <laughs> oh, can I, well, and can sorry. I just go in there a little bit just if people are listening? So when a potato is cooked mm. and then cooled is when the resistant starch increases. So um, I think that, you know, as you said, doing it the way you're doing it, like getting a potato that is going to be just chucked away and then making a powder out of it will then mm. give you the nutrients um, that maybe the banana wouldn't give you, but not definitely not the resistant starch. So, you know, yeah, exactly. hey, That's just ask me, Christy, just call me and let me, and Cindy, will this have resistant starch? Or- <laughs> <laughs> it's my favourite topic. <laughs> For the moment. For the moment. <laughs> it changes every week. Yeah, it's the way to go. And I think my other tip that I've taken from you is understanding what beautiful gut healing properties that the banana flower has, particularly with the 5-HTP, which was something I was given a supplement for um, to support me um, with the neurotransmitter serotonin when I wasn't sleeping very well. And so what I've taken from this is that I could add some beautiful banana flower into my smoothies and I would be able to support myself in Cindy's language with a real food supplement, which really lights me up. And I also would just love to say that um, your, what Cindy's alluded to already, your your ability to look at, at creating something, and I, and I want to honour your husband, <laughs> Rob, because to run over a cluster of bananas and squeal with delight is a little bit like me seeing ants all over my body lotion that I created. And I got so excited when I saw ants all over my body lotion that had spilt on the table. No one else, everyone else thought it was gross. But it made me realise that the innate intelligence of the ant was far more interested in a product like that. It was real food to the ant. And I just had a little feeling when I heard you say that to Rob, I saw myself getting excited over some of the products that we, Cindy and Karen have all created. So I just I just want to say thank you for reminding me and seeing something that may not be seen so great, but seeing it as a beautiful opportunity. So that's what I've taken. And I just am so grateful to Cindy and Ruthie for for connecting with you because the level of our interviews this year have just been phenomenal and your ability to to share this information is not only inspiring from a mum's point of view, from a wife's point of view, from a farmer's point of view, but also as a businesswoman and many of our listeners are self-employed and many of them are, you know, really trying to create something and make a difference out there. So, on that note, I'd love to ask you, what would be your two things that you'd love our listeners to take away from you? Well, um, I, I think it's really important to believe in yourself. You know, um, no one, they might, but no one is going to really ever come in and save you, so to speak. You, you really do have to believe in yourself. And, and the thing is, when you really believe in yourself and what you're doing, you'll just, you'll be 
you know, you end up being connected to other people who are very similar and it's a really beautiful space to work in and, and move forward as a human being. Um, so I definitely think that that's very important. Another thing that I think is very important, particularly um, in rural but but in business as well and, and, and for women especially, is if there's something you can see that it doesn't quite sit right with you and you think there's a better way of doing it, you know, start the conversation, you know, pick up the phone because we can't change things. I mean, we can change things as an individual, but certainly there's, um, there's, if you're feeling something, the chances are someone in your network or circle, they're feeling it too. And I think that together we can all, have the potential to change so many things um it's just remarkable so start the conversations start the collaborations and um stand up be proud with your shoulders back and just be the best version of you that you can be every day that sounds absolutely perfect now for people to contact you or see what you're doing apart from you know me getting your flower in um what can they see what you know where can where they am find I? you? Yeah, where are you? Give <laughs> us your social I? media. <laughs> um, I'm on I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so uh, there'd be a few people out there on LinkedIn as well. Um, I'm on Instagram as the real KW, and I kind of just share my daily life goings on. Um, obviously, the business is on Insta as well as Natural Evolution. But yeah, across the socials on Facebook, I'm on that as well. Not such, not so good at Twitter. So, uh, well, I love, I love um, Insta. So it's perfect. <laughs> Can you just reiterate the the Instagram page? The yeah, real KW. The real KW. And where I can't see you. I'm just making sure that we've. Is it just all in one word? Yeah, one word. T H E R E A L K W. Okay, cool. All right. Well, I am really excited to follow you on there. I have now got a new love with the banana and even more excited that um, that we're going to be able to get your beautiful banana flowers. So I just want to thank you for being the extraordinary woman that you are. And no, thank you for having me today. It's been It's been really great to talk with you. Oh, we love it. We're thank so you. excited to yeah. share the women like you to the mm. world. So thank you so, so much. And and listeners, we hope that you too have enjoyed this week's podcast. We've missed our beautiful Karen. She would love to know that bananas have feelings and communicate with the animals. <laughs> so on behalf of Karen, I'd just like to say um, thank you so much. But if you've got any questions, feedback, thoughts or feelings around this amazing podcast today with Krista Watkins, then please go to all the W's, thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat, or you can go to our Facebook page, all the W's, facebook.com forward slash up for a chat, and come and talk to us there. We are really excited about what's coming this year and more amazing interviews to follow. So please stay tuned. Give us a five-star rating. That's what helps us to get out there and get these messages and amazing people out there even more. And we're super proud to have you along the ride with us. Until next week, guys, take care. 
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.